hopefully that won't happen. Uh, Joshua chapter 2, you know, I'm always, um, when, when we come to a familiar passage, I don't really know how to feel about it because it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing because uh, everybody knows it, like the story's there, you don't have to set up too much context, uh, but it's a little bit of a curse because there's a lot of VeggieTales syndrome that happens, um, and it's like you really only know what you remember from watching VeggieTales uh, growing up, and uh, can I just say that the Bible, for the most part, is a whole lot more interesting than that, uh, and so I, I do worry that, you know, sometimes it's, it's good. We obviously have to make things understandable for when we're growing up in Sunday school, but as the Apostle Paul said, eventually, you move on a little bit, and you graduate from the milk. Uh, into the meat a little bit, and so we're gonna we're gonna get to some of the meat tonight. And uh, but I'm on a I'm on a very strict schedule according to Pastor Jake, so uh, we're gonna make sure to um, abide by that. So Joshua chapter two, uh, I was gonna read the whole thing, but I think I'm not going to do that, and we'll just read the first eleven or so verses. So let's do that. Joshua chapter two, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent. Uh, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come, in, are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, that they, come, that they become to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went I wot not. Pursue, try to say, try to try just read all this out loud, I, I dare you, it's very interesting. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. This is interesting. She knows all of this. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. In verses 12 through around 22, they make a covenant. They make a pact, and we're not going to read all of that for sake of time. But basically, uh, they get together and say, all right, well, here's the deal. If you'll protect us, we'll protect you. So they make a pact, and then if we skip down to verse number 23, it says, so the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for 
this time together. I pray now, Lord, that as we study this chapter, that you would uh, just teach us something new from your word. Remind us of things that we've already known uh, from your word. And Lord, help us to uh, never treat this time as, as some rote ritual that we do on a regular basis, but Lord, just uh, as, as something that every time that we come here, we, we come to to draw near to other believers in the community, Lord, and also to draw nearer to you and to learn more about you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of the many blessings that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought about what to title this, and I thought, well, there's no way I could do worse than Pastor Jake this morning. So I went with a, I went with a nerdy title. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you'll know, but I titled this message, A New Hope, A New Hope. And uh, as, I, as I looked through uh, this passage, I mean, my goodness, ha- having grown up in church, I was saved at the age of four years old. How many times have I heard this passage taught? Many of you probably shared the same thing. And uh, what's interesting is every time you can glean something new, there's, there's lots of different angles. I thought about all the things you could think about as you're reading through these verses. It's a story about redemption in many ways. It's a story about faithfulness in many ways, being faithful to God. It's a, it's a story about victory, being uh, victorious over your enemies. It's even a story about wise decision-making, spiritual discernment, trustworthiness, uh, denying the world, and instead choosing to follow Christ. You could go a lot of different directions. And um, even the New Testament authors appropriated this story in different ways depending on what they needed their audience to know. But as I looked at it, I thought, for our purposes, I think this is a story about hope. It's a story about hope. It's a story about second chances. It's a story about, as we'll see in a minute, even fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth chances. It's a story about uh, the kinds of people that God uses, even though sometimes we expect God to use maybe different people or we're worried that he can't use us or that he can't use uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's really a story about the fulfillment of God's promises that he kept to Israel over and over and over again, this story is no different. And one of the things that I really want you to see as we go through this is just to remember that it's oftentimes the, uh, the broken people, the broken things, the people who are the least likely to succeed, you know, you, you, you know your yearbooks and stuff, like this person is the least likely to do anything ever kind of thing. It's, it's a story about how those people are the ones that God uses. But it's also a story about hope. It's a story about as, as we're facing a world today where there is little hope. I mean, just to hearken back again, if you were here this morning, it was a fantastic message. But it, it does get you a little down in the dumps, yeah, to, to think about the world that we find ourselves in. How do you navigate as a Christian trying to live in the New Jerusalem when you're surrounded by Babylon? How do you live in Babylon when you are uh, trying to live in Jerusalem. Now, in many ways, Rahab found herself in that situation because the Lord had garnered for himself a reputation, a reputation among the people, among the kings, among the rulers. There was, there was word on the street. Everybody knew that these people were coming for them. Now, how did they know that? I don't know. I don't know, but word traveled fast, apparently, in the Transjordan and in that area, and everybody was afraid of Israel. That's basically what the passage says. And that's quite ironic because if you'll remember just 40 years earlier, who was terrified of who? It was the other way around. The Israelites were terrified 
of what they found when they sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And all this time, for that 40 years, it was the land of Canaan who was terrified of them. Well, there's probably a whole message just in that one point, uh, but that's not the road I'm necessarily going down today. I do want you to see, though, that even in the midst of circumstances when you're not sure what God is doing, God is doing something. In a world where hopelessness does abound, it seems like there's no hope. There's lots of depression, lots of anxiety. It's not getting better. It's getting a lot worse. There is still hope. God always has a remnant. God always has a leader. God is always doing something. He's never not moving. He's never not acting. And I don't know where it is in your life. I only know some of you so personally. And I, even the ones I do know personally, there's deep and dark things, I'm sure, that I could never know about. Um, I don't know where your hope is being tested. I wrote this down. I don't know what the chains are in your life that are binding you. We all have them. We all have chains. Some of them are self-inflicted chains, right? Some of them you can't help. And yet, the Lord is a very present help in the time of trouble. He is hope. The Lord is hope. We cling to the hope of the Lord. Maybe there's a mental struggle or a physical battle that you're dealing with. Regardless, I don't know those things, but the author of hope does. And I believe that if you'll let him, he'll speak to you in this message tonight. So I think every person, this is kind of my, my summary for the sermon here, I think every person can really find hope in Christ by simply resting in the three aspects of God's sovereignty that we see on display here in Joshua chapter two. All right, so first of all, first of all, I find in these verses hope in God's timing. Hope in God's timing. Joshua 1, 3, just to remind you, says, every place, this is Joshua, of course, the Lord speaking to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said, unto Moses. Right? God is continuing his plan for his people through a new generation. And then, of course, we see that in Joshua chapter 2, in verse number 1, we see that the two spies uh, were sent. And I'm not sure what special theological messaging is going on there, but so funny, last time they sent 12, 10 came back afraid for their lives. Two of them came back feeling pretty good. They had some, the fighting spirit, you might say. And so this time, Josh was like, you know, maybe we'll just send two, right? Maybe we'll just send two this time and it'll go a little bit better. And uh, it did. It did go a lot better. But I do want to remind you a little bit about the history of Israel to this point. I was thinking about this earlier. Talk about the God of second chances, the God of fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chances. You know, we're not very far along in your Bible. And this is already, depending on how you count, I'm going to say it's the fifth major time that God has basically had to start over, if you will, with his people. The fifth time already. We're only in Joshua, okay? If you think about it, again, God creates people in his own image, Adam and Eve, he, he gives it a shot with them, you might say. I'm speaking a little facetiously, but you know what I'm saying, right? He gives it a shot with them. They get started out, and the world descends into utter chaos. And it gets so bad that God has to destroy everybody except for one family and a few animals. Pretty bad. So he starts over again with Noah. And what's really cool, this is your, your little Bible nerd bonus here. What's really cool is if you look at how New Testament authors use the Old Testament, 
um, they often present Jesus as the new one of each of these people. Jesus is the second Adam. Uh, Jesus is presented as the new Noah, presented even in some cases as the new Moses, the new Joshua. Um, but so he starts over again uh, with Noah, and that even doesn't work out well. Just a chapter or two later, they're already building the tower to heaven, trying to bring the gods down to earth, and it's not going well, and the Lord's like, man, these people are real stubborn. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to scatter them so they can't work together at all. I'm going to create for myself a new people, forget about all these other nations for a while. Uh, he supernaturally creates the people of Israel. Supernaturally, why? Because Abram and Sarai, they were, of course, barren. They, weren't, they couldn't have children. Um, and God supernaturally intervened in that situation, said, okay, I'll have a people for myself. So I'm, I'm skipping over sort of Joshua and sort of the, 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 the sons of, of Abraham there. But if you, if you go from Abraham and then you move into Moses, right? He anoints Moses as the leader. Moses is very, of course, skittish. He even needs some help from his brother Aaron because uh, the, the two together could apparently uh, at least carry on a conversation. Moses didn't seem to think he had the ability to even do that. And the Lord's like, all right, geez Louise, you know, you guys are really tough. Uh, and he lets Aaron come in, and that's sort of a, a, a concession. And, uh, and then, of course, they travel through um, the wilderness. They, they want to go into the promised land, um, but they are afraid. And once again, the Lord has to start over. And he's like, look, you guys are going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You're not going to get to see the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who brought the good report, had faith in the Lord, believed in the Lord's promise. They did get to go into the promised land. So, so this is the fifth time that the Lord has, in a sense, started over. And they're going into the promised land. And I, I just thought about... Because I'll be honest, it's some of the hardest reading you're ever going to do to read about the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? Like, why did that have to happen? Why did we have to know about it? Is it really helpful? So I, I thought that whole period of time might be something we could glean something from. So I wrote down these three things, and maybe you would find this helpful, because otherwise it just seems really strange. Like, you're, you're, you're walking around, you're getting led to all these different places, you're striking rocks, you're like putting snakes up on a pole, like, what is happening here? So here's three lessons I think we could take from that scene before moving into where we are, and that is that sometimes, number one, a season of waiting is necessary before a season of blessing. Sometimes a season of waiting is necessary. And uh, that is all in God's perfect timing. Again, whether it be a season of waiting that you've entered into because of a decision maybe that you made that wasn't the best decision. Or maybe it was just simply God's plan and God's will. And you think, well, this is, this is weird. Like, I'm, I'm in this dry season. I'm in this place where things don't really seem to make sense. The message of the Bible is that oftentimes you're going to find yourself in a place that doesn't really make sense, and yet the Lord is still working. So if you're in a, a place right now where it doesn't really make sense, right? If you're in a place right now where it's like, well, I did this. I made all these right decisions. I mean, I teach in church. I attend every week, but yet things still don't look right. Sometimes you need to be in a period of waiting, a period of wandering around in the wilderness maybe a little bit before the time of blessing. Now, I'm not a, a prosperity preacher, of course, uh, but I do think it is true in, in it, Never, you know, I mean, in, in the ultimate sense, I mean, because we're going to be spending eternity with Christ, that ultimately, ultimately, there is always a blessing. 
coming. It's, it, it, I read the back of the book. You have too. The story ends well for us. Okay, it really does. Now, there's a lot of bumps in the road between now and then, but it ends up pretty well. So I can say confidently this morning without, or this evening, without being a prosperity preacher, that there is a time of blessing. It will come, but you might have to wait a little bit. Second thing is that God will keep his covenant in spite of our unfaithfulness to him. But sometimes there are still consequences to bear. This is a lesson that, uh, though I have to teach my children often, it is also one that I have to learn as well. Um, the whole sin in the camp thing, right? You guys will be talking about that a little bit as we move through um, Joshua. There's the story, which I won't ruin, but the story of, of, of Achan. And uh, what they find is that basically he's taken some things. And uh, it, it was things that God had devoted to destruction that needed to be destroyed. He didn't do it. And so that's where we get the saying of there's some sort of sin in the camp. Um, that is, I think, a very wrong way. You can't look at somebody else and say, oh, you've got sin in the camp. You've got sin in your life. I don't think that's correct. But it is true that in times, in seasons of unfaithfulness, there will be consequences. There will be things that do happen as a result of the decisions that you've made. Nevertheless, God is faithful. Why, why do I say all this? Well, because it's a lesson of the wilderness. Do you know a lot of people died in the wilderness? They died. Entire generations were wiped out when God gave that second chance. There's, I don't remember the exact scene, but there's one whole scene where like basically 40,000 people or something like that get swallowed up into the earth. <laughs> what? Like, it's crazy, but it's there and it's true and it happened and there's a lesson to learn from it. The lesson is trust God, trust God. There will be consequences along the way when we misstep. Nevertheless, God is faithful and he will continue to keep his covenant to us. And then the third one, and I love this, God will never lead us where his grace cannot provide for us or his power cannot protect us. He will never lead us where his grace can't provide or his power can't protect even in the wilderness. Hope in God's timing. There's hope in the Lord's timing, even when it doesn't look like it's making sense. In this case, finally, things started to turn around. Right, they get to Jericho and they find that these people that they've been afraid of, as I mentioned, were actually afraid of them. They find a confidant in Rahab, who we're going to talk about quite a bit in just a moment. Um, I'll just say it this way. We want things to happen on our time. You know, we live in the world, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm the worst of instant gratification. I get really upset when things don't just happen, especially when I'm like, hey, Riker, like, Go do that. And then it's, you know, it's like, it's just, I'm like, no, go do that. Like, why aren't you doing it? I asked you to do it. And I don't understand. Uh, and, and yet, yet, patience, right, is one of those lessons, those perennial lessons that we need to learn. But we can have hope in God's timing because he's sovereign. He's always working behind the scenes. And I'll just read a, a little proof text for you on that. You guys know the verse. But I think sometimes, again, we take these things for granted or we forget them. But Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're in one of those seasons right now where it's like, I'm in the wilderness. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the next step is. Have hope because he does. He knows what the next step is. Okay, secondly, secondly is hope in God's rescue. 
hope in God's rescue. Verse uh, 12 and 14, I'm going to read for you. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord. Since I have showed you kindness, this is, of course, uh, Rahab talking to the spies, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly with thee. Let's look at Rahab really quick, this character specifically of Rahab. First of all, her profile, her profile. Let's just say Rahab did not have the most becoming job description, right? Everywhere in scripture that we find her mentioned, it takes specific care to mention Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. Now, if when we get to heaven and we get to interact with Rahab, praise God, I don't think anybody's going to know her by that name anymore, right? Right? But the point is, the point is for us, remember whatsoever things were written for aforetime were written for our learning, Romans 15, 4. The point for us is to always remember where God can bring a person from. So she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. But she was also perfect for the job. As I was researching this, one of the pastors that, uh, that I, I found, he said something along these lines. If there was one thing that Rahab was good at, it was knowing where to hide men. It, look, it's true. That's the story. That's the story. That's what we're dealing with here. She was an innkeeper, among other things. Her house was on the wall. She was situated in the perfect spot to see who was coming and who was going. She could hide people where needed. Um, they, again, there was flax on their roof, and there were basically these big stalks that she was able to hide them, and um, she had probably hidden other people there too. And what's the point? Uh, the point is, is that sometimes even those most uncomfortable things for us in our lives are the things that God uses. Uh, sometimes those skills that we learn doing maybe secular work, again, this is pretty, a pretty extreme example, I would say, but when you're talking about anything, be it music or you know, you're learning how to build things or whatever, gifts that you've been given, I believe those are uh, akin to like the talents that we talk about in scripture, where we're given gifts and we're given tools and we're given things that we can use that um, we should be able to use for the glory of the Lord. And what a waste if the Lord gives us something and we don't try to find some way to serve, try to find some way to use those gifts for him. I truly believe we're going to be accountable for that one day. We're going to answer for how we dealt with the things that God had given us. Were we talented in some way and we didn't do it? And I, you know, that, that, that is one of those things that frustrates me a lot is when you have somebody who's got some... A measure of talent, and somebody looks at them and judges them and says, oh, but they're just showing off, right? Man, that would just really, that would just really eats me up, right? It's like, no, how about, like, what are you doing for the Lord <laughs> while they're, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> while they are showing off, um, what are you doing? You know, you're, are you just, you're sit, sitting there just judging they're showing off. And um, I think that's a bad way to be. That's a miserable life when all you can do is point to other people and complain about their service to the Lord instead of actually getting up and doing something of your own. And uh, I, that's kind of a hobby horse that I'm going to move on from. But the point is her profile. This is important. God is not in the somebody business. 
He's in the nobody business. All these people that we call heroes of the faith, I've got news for you. They weren't heroes of anything. Jesus is the only hero of the faith. Every one of these stories, what you're going to find is a miserably broken and sinful person who God used anyway. He took a bunch of nobodies. They're only somebodies because of what he did with them. And now we know. And the New Testament uh, goes to great lengths to explain that to us. So that's her profile. And then her plea. Her plea is simple. Her plea is be nice to me. I'll be nice to you. I find it, uh, the word kindness there is the word hesed. Hesed in Hebrew. And this is a word that is used often to speak of God's faithful love. God's faithful love. That's what she is asking for and saying that she will give in return. She didn't let the opportunity pass by. She knew because she had heard of God's reputation. And she didn't want to pass that up. This was her chance. This was her chance to, if you will, get in cahoots with the people of Yahweh, right? To reject the gods of the Canaanites and to go with the one true and living God of Israel. And then her promise. Basically, they make an oath together. And uh, she promises that indeed if they will protect her, uh, she will protect them and vice versa. Um, I, I just think about this story of rescue, right? This is, there, there's, what's my point here? There's hope in God's rescue. Um, this was a crazy situation that happened. Again, I encourage you to read the whole story and their covenant back and forth and the way they're talking. This prostitute from the land of Canaan had heard about these people that were scared. Actually, I, I just, how about this? How about I just read what I wrote to, to get it to the point? Rahab, a woman of the night, hides two Israelite men from the authorities, directly lies when she's asked if she's seen them, and then sends them on a wild goose chase. She makes a pact to protect her own people, even though she knows her city is about to fall. There's a lot going on there. Again, we could talk about was it right for her to lie? We could talk about, was it right for her to misdirect? Like, there's all these little things that we could talk about, but what's the point? The point is, is that even in this weird, unlikely situation, God provided rescue. He provided rescue for the people of Israel, safe passage for them. He provided rescue for Rahab. He provided rescue for Rahab's family. So just as there is hope in God's timing of events, God's timing in our lives, there's also just hope in God's rescue. You know, we take that for granted, I think, a lot of times, that God has come to the rescue for you and for me quite a bit. Has he not? As we, as we look through our past, I think of that time when David was considering his past and they were looking at the city, I believe it was Ziklag, um, was the city where they, they got to it and everything was destroyed and they had no more power to weep, the text says. But David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. What did he do? I think he looked back on the time when he slew Goliath, looked back on the time when he slew the bear with his bare hands, gave the Lord credit for all of that. God has come to the rescue many times in our lives. And he'll continue to do it over and over again. And that's why we have hope. And by the way, the ultimate rescue, of course, is salvation made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, today, if you haven't made that decision yet, if you haven't made the decision to place your trust in the rescue that can only be provided by the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me, then that is step number one. Numero uno. You need the rescue of the cross before you can expect any kind of rescue in your daily life, in your daily living. And then the final thing I want to bring to you here, wrapping up, is hope in God's providence. Hope in God's providence. Now, this is so cool. 
Because we talk about Rahab, we've talked about the, the, her, her profile, her plea, her promise. Here under this one, we also have her posterity. Honest to goodness, I could talk for three hours on this point. Totally not going to do that. Um, but I could because it's so cool and there, there's lots of layers to it. But Joshua 6.25, to zoom forward in the story, says this. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. This is when they're taking over Jericho. And her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. Rahab's story is recorded in Holy Scripture as a model example of both faith and obedience. Hebrews 11.31, if you want to check that out later. And also James 2.25. It was, I find this so cool in Hebrews. I do want to read this to you. Hebrews 11, 32 through 20, or, uh, 32 to 34. After he mentions Rahab, he takes care to mention Ahab, the author of the Hebrews says, he, uh, to mention Abraham, not Ahab, Abraham, and then Rahab. And then he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and of David and of Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to fight the enemies of the aliens. All these great things that happened. But you know whose story was important enough to mention by name? Rahab. Rahab. Why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What I do know is that that was an awfully broken person that had no reputation except for a very bad one. And God turned the entire thing around. And in fact, of course, she is, was incorporated into the family of Israel. You may or may not know that Rahab eventually married a dude named Salmon. And uh, they had a baby named Boaz. And Boaz and, and uh, Ruth got together and they had a baby named Obed. And Obed and his wife, well, they got together and they had a baby named Jesse. And Jesse and his wife got together, and they had a baby named David, who is in the messianic line, the line of Christ. The throne of David shall rule forever. This random harlot from Canaan, from Jericho, who had no reputation otherwise, finds herself in the lineup, the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. Look at the message is real simple. There's hope. I, I don't care what the situation is. There's hope in God's timing. There's hope in God's providence. Man, there's hope in God's rescue. There's just really no situation. And this is uncomfortable for us sometimes, but it's nevertheless true. There's nothing that happens in your life at all that uh, God does not either directly ordain or allow to happen. It's all within his control tonight. So the question is really, are you trusting him? Are you, I mean, it's a simple message. Are you trusting him in those circumstances, no matter what there are? You know, I, I, I wrote this down. Again, I'm just going to read it verbatim because I think it's all right. But it's true. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's no mess up. There's no past. There's no present. There's no nothing that can stop God's plan from moving forward. It's a real simple formula all you do is follow Abraham and deny Babylon. You follow Moses and reject Egypt. Follow Rahab and deny Canaan. Follow Ruth and deny Moab. 
follow Jesus, deny yourself. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. It's a really beautiful story, I think, of what is possible, what is really possible in your life when you let go and you say, I've heard of the reputation of Yahweh. I've heard of the reputation of what Jesus has done in other people's lives. You know, I wonder, I wonder if I just reject what I've always known and I follow after him. I wonder if he could do the same thing for me. So I'll just leave you with uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. There is hope, but it's only through his power. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Pastor, come on. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's stand to our feet and make decisions for Christ. The altar's open. Wonderful message tonight. Matt's going to sing. The altar's open tonight. There is another seen hand to me that leads through ways I cannot see while going This hand still leads me as I go. I'm trusting to the unseen hand that guides me. this weary thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that in the waiting, God, you're at work. Lord, we thank you that your timing is always perfect. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, even when it seems like, Lord, you're, you're not at work, that you are at work behind the scenes. Lord, I look back over my life and even look now, Lord, and so many times, God, when I didn't realize that you were doing something and you were orchestrating something. And Lord, uh, sometimes it's hard to be patient, but Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us too. Lord, I thank you that you are in the restoration business. Lord, I thank you that you can use anyone that you choose to. Lord, what an example, Lord, tonight, Lord, uh, from your word. Lord, I thank you for the message that, Lord, you gave Steve through the scriptures. Lord, I needed it, and Lord, I know we needed it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it. Lord, I will trust in your sovereignty, trust in your plan, and trust in who you are. In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen.